Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another stimulating conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am thrilled to have you here, and I am really excited to welcome my, my friend and colleague, Regina Lark. Regina, thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Elaine. I'm so excited. Regina and I have known each other a long time, and we met each other in the kind of ADHD space and the organizing and ADHD space. But what really connected us is that we both have this um, feminist background. And we both have a history of realizing what the role of and life of women is um, long before it became popular on late night talk shows. <laughs> so she has come out with this really a new book that I'm so excited to share with you. And I really want y'all to hear about this work. The book is called Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. And we're not really going to talk about the book, but we're going to talk about the context that brought you to this book, right? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with families and particularly families of we call neurodiversity or complex kids um, and how you came to be doing this work. So let's start with that. Well, so I began a professional organizing business 13 years ago and I had been laid off from my job in higher education. I finished a PhD in women's history. Then I was working at adult learning. I was in adult learning and the job itself was a very terrible fit for me professionally Mm -hmm. and personally. So when I had gone to Jerusalem the summer of 2008 and stayed with a very good friend of mine. And while I was there, I said, Nadra, I don't want to be a tourist today. How about if I do your kitchen? And she said, Habibdi, what does that mean? And I said, Nadra, your girls are in their 30s and you got sippy cups in the cupboard. Just let me do what I do. (laughs) Fine. So I did what I did and uh, it was a good result. And I get back to my desk at my job. And uh, a week later, my unit is being dismantled. My position eliminated. The goddess of jobs had just done for me what I clearly was not able to do for myself. Nine days later, I am jobless. And two months later, I started a clear path, making the PhD now stand for piled higher and deeper. So, <laughs> so a clear path is just for those professional listening. organizing company. Right. And two things happened very early on in this journey. I worked with a client and we talked about, uh, so before I return for my next visit, you will have gone through this pile of mail, right? She goes, oh, yes, yes. And then we done. Yes. And when I got back to her house the next week, not only was that pile of mail not gone through, but there were other piles around the house. And, and piles I just, higher and deeper. 
piled higher and deeper. And I honestly, Elaine, it was such a curiosity to me because, and I don't mean to sound glib when I say this, I would have gone through the pile of mail. Right. So I was curious that that didn't happen. And then about a week or two later, I'm with another client. I had been there 20 minutes and she had a lot of possessions that entered her home from when her mom died. And within that first 20 minutes, she held up a very benign object and she says, is it okay if I let this go? And again, it was a real curiosity because I wouldn't have had to ask anybody. If I'm not using it, I let it go. And I thought, wow, she's only known me 20 minutes and she's asking permission. Permission. Yeah. So I began talking to my colleagues and I found the Institute for Challenging Disorganization, mm-hmm. ICD. ICD. And ICD is where mental health professionals meet professional organizers. Right. And there's amazing learning and coursework going on. And so being the acquirer of credentials that I am, I just started acquiring credentials with ICD and I became a subject matter expert in working with people with brain-based conditions. Okay. So what I have learned in my 13 years is that a lot of people who need or desire a professional organizer in their world for the rest of their lives or for to clear up the mess, most of those folks have executive function dysfunction, executive function disorder. They're dealing with ADHD, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, and all of this compromises the executive function. And this is, in, in modern terms, we're now calling this as neurodiversity, neurodivergent. But really what you're saying is people who have brain-based conditions that make it difficult to manage themselves, to organize, to think, process, follow through, et cetera. Right. Planning, sequencing. Right. And then the emotional management around it all. Yes. So in terms of emotional management, I'm seeing people hold on to things mostly because of fear, fear of if I don't have it and I need it, now what? We catastrophize that outcome. And then fear that whoever gave it to me, if I let it go, it's a sign of disrespect. Or what if they notice that it's not here anymore? So I see a lot of fear when it comes. Or what if I let it go and then I can't afford to get it again? If I need it and I can't afford it. Really the fear. And I, I, when I do talks on this, I ask people to start paying attention to all the words coming out of their mouth when it comes Mm -hmm. to the volume of stuff. And more often than not, they will say, yeah, but I'm afraid. I said, there's that word. So, but we're afraid. Yeah, but I'm afraid. So here I am working in these environments. And uh, one day I'm working with Sylvia and Sylvia has ADHD unmanaged and she's in a world of hurt over not only the clutter and the disorganization, but her perceptions of, she had a belief that she was failing as wife and mother. I just got off the phone with a client with that conversation. The shame from the- Elaine, I could cry. Yeah the shame from the failure and the conversation we just had. And I'm sure you have this with conversation all the time. It was, was almost as if, how are we setting ourselves up for failure so that we can call ourselves a failure? Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's structural. I mean, we really do it to ourselves, but unintentionally. Sure. Yeah. And it's nature and nurture 
you know, so, so <laughs> this is such a big topic. I was going to say, I don't know if you guys can see, but the, but the feeling, the emotion that's coming up here is really powerful because this is people's lives we're talking about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're, we raise girls into women to notice everything because noticing is a skill. Yeah. We raise girls into women to lock in the idea that the work of the household is women's work. I had this moment a few days ago when we hear women's work, we think of the domestic sphere. Yeah. When we hear men's work, we think of the public sphere. Yeah. Men's work does not filter cycle into the private sphere. Right. Well, there's a whole other place we could go around <laughs> teachers and education and the devaluation of the, the field when it became went from men's work to women's yes. work. Yes. Right. I mean, it's so layered. So anyway, this is a whole semester. Right. We're going to get this in 20 minutes. Right. So, okay. So, So we raise girls into women to notice everything, which is what I know about ADHD. And then what I know about the history of women in the home, because that's where I come from. Right. I'm sitting there listening to Sylvia, and she's so filled with despair and depression and shame and feelings of failure. And I said, sit down. We sat on the floor. And I uh, recited to Sylvia Women's History 101. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Which you and I did a webinar about maybe 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and, and I said, Sylvia, just because you have a vagina does not mean you were born to know how to do this work. I said, I think what's happening here is a direct reflection of an ADHD brain and your challenges to manage your relationship to time and emotion and sequencing and processing. I said, it's got nothing to do with you as female. Yeah. And she cried and was so blown away by the knowledge, this, this newfound thought that it had nothing to do with her being a woman. It had everything to do with how her brain is wired. Yeah. And, um, and then I began thinking about all the women over the last two centuries as we separated public <laughs> and private and how screwed they were. If they had a brain-based condition, if they were neurodiverse and they have failed themselves miserably. Yes. Part of me wants to go there and I'm going to rein us in a little bit because okay. we could we could have a philosophical we women's history lesson and have a really great time. <laughs> and... What I'm aware of is you just, from what you just said, is that in my community, right? So I'm, we're speaking to parents and professionals, but who are also usually parents of complex kids. And there's kind of two camps. There are those who do have neurodiversity and there's, there are those who don't have neurodiversity, but whose kids do. So when we think about those two different audiences and we want to make this real, let's look at what do you want to say to the parents who do have the neurodiversity? Mm-hmm. What do you want to say to those who don't, but whose kids do? Communication, communication, communication <laughs> is the same for all. Yeah. We have to talk about what the hell is going on at home. And we have to make our to-do lists very, very visible. Mm-hmm. Our to-do list, the typical to-do list of a typical female, neurodiverse or not, a typical female who lives with other people in a home, 
Mm-hmm. Her to-do list <laughs> is pages long. It's ridiculous. Isn't it's it? ridiculous. And some of it is tangible, physical. Most of it is invisible, mental. So I want to make it real. May I? Yeah. Because I literally just had this conversation, right? <laughs> with, a, with an ADHD mom. And part of the conversation was she managed to have it together. And when it was just her, she could kind of figure out how to make it work in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. That was my experience too. It wasn't until she got married and then started having kids. And then it was about being in relationship with other people and the obligations and responses and responsibilities, the logistics. So part of this is about, we're trying to figure out how to dance with others. And then the other thing that came up in this conversation that you're speaking to was, she said, there's so many things I hold in my head that my husband doesn't even really know about. And the example she used was a kid who had an allergic reaction to something and now has to take a medicine every day. She knows it. The dad doesn't really know it. She's kind of meant, right. And so that's one of the many things she's holding and setting timers for. And and that just, it's exactly what you're saying. There's so much. That. In 1964, Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique, and and out of The Feminist Mystique, she came up with this phrase, the problem with no name. Mm -hmm. I believe emotional labor is the 21st century problem with no name, right? Because exactly what you said, holding the invisible list of tasks associated with not only the work of the household, but that task list, that invisible task list of emotional labor also shows up in the paid workplace. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking it also shows up in the emotional holding of a family, like the conversations that we have with our kids that we don't even realize we're having to check in on their emotional health and their emotional state and like making sure that everyone's okay. Right. And that's what emotional labor is, is making sure everybody around you is okay to the um, to the forgetfulness or detriment detriment um, right it's that the metaphor of pull the life mask down for yourself first and I would imagine that you use that a lot all the time <laughs> everything we do is circled in self-care right and that and it's really hard to do I mean Diane tells sure. a story about the first time she was on a plane with an infant the first time she had a kid with her. And she heard them come on and say, put your mask on first. And she, re- she remembers having this conversation with herself. Like, I can't do that. Wow. Right. Before right. she realized I have to do that. Right. Right. But we do. We don't think we can or we should or something. There's such a sense of obligation mm-hmm. and but also a steeply embedded um, belief system. And the belief system extends to not only believing what we have to do, what the goals and expectations are on us, but also a belief system that the people around us can't Mm. participate. So it's it's actually disempowering. I've had many women tell me, my husband wants to participate, but because I'm better at it. Yes. And of course, you're better at it. You were you do it. You were exposed. <laughs> this is, you know, you were raised to notice this. He was not. I have to tell you, I have this memory, the turning point, the linchpin in my family dynamic. My youngest son was maybe eight years old, 
and he got hit by a tree. I am not exaggerating. He actually, the tree fell, hit him on the head. He got, you know, a little minor concussion. And I was on my way out of town to, I was, I had just gone back to work and I was on my way out of town for my first, I was doing a women's spiritual retreat. And I was kind of the opening act. I was doing <laughs> the welcome for a hundred, go. <laughs> two hours away. And it was my first time going back to a real work situation. And I'm at the hospital and I'd been with another kid doing another thing. So I'm at the hospital with my husband and my kid. And I look at him and I look at the kid who's fine. By the way, he was not, you know, he was really okay. And I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to let you parent this kid this weekend. And I cried all the way there. And I cried half the weekend until I, you know, came home. And it was the best gift I ever gave my son and my husband. Because it was the first time I had really empowered my husband to say, yes. you're a parent too. Yeah, yeah. And you can do this. Right, right. But let me tell you, it was the most one of the most painful things painful. I ever did. Sure. Because you were abdicating mm-hmm. what well, you, my women's job. Was your responsibility. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people that would find me wrong for it. And uh, I mean, not that I care about that. But what I what I noticed from it was the bond it created with my husband and his yeah, son, interesting. and with my son and his father. Yeah, my son learned to turn to his father yeah. for emotional yeah, support, yeah, yeah. not just to me. Well, you know the the one of the famous stories from Ruth Bader Ginsburg is she was prepping a major case, and her son's school called, and they said mm-hmm. your son's sick, and she goes, "He's got two parents. It's my husband's turn for this call." Yeah. Just hung up and kept, you know, so Love there it. is that. Yeah. And, but can I tell you how the school would push back is they would write Absolutely. me yes. and I would write back and I would say, please include my husband. We, we co-parent and please include him on all emails. And they would, I don't think they were fighting. It was just easier for them if it was just one. Sure. Of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was easier because we both have ADHD. It was a lot easier for us. It's how we kept things from falling through the cracks is that right. we were both right. engaged. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Really, especially. Yeah. And for people who are in COVID, it just, you know, dealing with parenting and COVID, it's a whole other layer. Yeah. So what do you think parents, what do you want parents to understand about the impact that, that this has on their kids and what, what they can be doing here in this dynamic, whether the parents are neurotypical or not? If there are two adults in a household, they have to develop an understanding of what the hell is going on there in terms of the workload. Mm. So one of the fun components of my book is uh, I have a collaborator, Judith Kohlberg. And at one point she said, wouldn't it be fun to have some cartoons? Yeah, they're great. So yeah. And uh, so I spun around on my desk and I Googled lesbian cartoonists and I found Becky Hawkins and she's awesome. And she so awesome. she created 22 panels. And one of the panels is um, has to do with this conversation about what the hell is going on at home. And this is what I tell couples. I suggest go into a separate room and write down everything you do, everything. Yeah. And then without comment and with a lot of love and open heart, look at the lists. Yeah. I just have to tell you, I did this with some friends of mine 
I was visiting a few months ago, just happenstance, like kids are out of the house. And we ended up in this conversation where she was like, well, I did this. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you did that. Well, I did this. And so I had them go back and forth for about 10 minutes and they shared with each other stuff they were doing to help each other and the house that neither of the other one knew. It was fascinating. Yeah. But that's the invisible labor component. Right. So once you see the extent by which she is usually, and, and it's typically the female. So first, so you look at the list and compare tasks. What tasks does she not want to do? Right. Is there a way to delegate that task to one of the children? How old is the child? I mean, you have to, of course, Elaine, you know that whatever tasks you're going to delegate have to be age appropriate. Um, and you have to be willing to have it done not quite as well as you might do it. Exactly. Um, move <laughs> away from perfection and move yeah. toward good enough. Let the words yep. good enough be your mantra. We call it GMO, Regina. G-E-M-O. Good enough. Move on. <laughs> Where's a pen? I'm in a completely different <laughs> space than I usually am. I'll give yeah. it to you later. GMO. Well, I'll, and I'll put it in the show notes. G-E-M-O. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What, so you got to de- that- delegate. Make it good enough. And if there's stuff that to. nobody wants to do, who can out who can you outsource it to or just get get it the hell off the list? Yeah. You know what? We don't have to send out holiday cards if yeah. the task of that is a burden to everyone. When we right? enter <laughs> mid-November to the end of the year, I think this is probably one of the most challenging times of the year. For a lot of people, for yeah. a lot of people, and those rules and roles and expectations, and you know, a belief system that it's not gonna, we're not gonna be happy unless X, Y, and Z. We have a client who now outsources to us her holiday decorating. I love that because one day she said, "Okay, we gotta, we gotta decorate." No one was into no one it. Wanted to do it. She was resentful doing it herself. And the following, so she called us up to take all the decorations down and we did a big declutter project for her. She called us the next year to take it all back, put it back up again. Okay. And that's her. When when I first started in this realm and started learning about ADHD, the, the rule of thumb that I learned was in ADHD coaching was play to your strengths and outsource your challenges. You bet. And it really yeah. does play. So I, I need to rein us in because we are, we're at that point. <laughs> <laughs> where we need to start closing the conversation. <laughs> Hate to say it. Tell people, Regina, how they can find you and the book. So again, the book is called Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. And how can people find out more about you and and, and the book or whatever? So else there's uh, Right now, I have an emotional labor website and it's emotional-labor.com. And it's got a lot of great information defining emotional labor, who the book is written for, new couples and those who have a lot of experience being in a family and uh, great cartoons. Yeah, it is great. I mean, it's really, it's, I, I highly <laughs> recommend it. I do want to, we talked, you talked, you spoke for a minute to couples. So I don't want to leave the parents who are, who are not co-parenting in a house and who are not, who are the only parent in the house. What's the guidance you have for, for those parents? We need to share the workload. And so my big fat suggestion on that is to bring around your gal pals, mm. bring around your gal pals and start talking with them in a very real way about what the hell is going on at home. 
and what your challenges are, what their challenges are, and see what you can outsource together. See if you can have somebody who can cook meals for your households, who can outsource the laundry. I mean, we've got to, again, I started this conversation with you saying communication, communication, communication. So if you're a solo parent with kids, chances are really, really, really good. You know, other women in the same situation. And I would put together one of the cartoons is I did focus groups and one woman says, well, we shouldn't be bitching. And I said, we're not bitching. This is consciousness raising. (laughs) It is, right? It is. That's what I would say all year. So we've got to talk to each other about what these challenges are and let adults. Without judgment. I mean, I think the key here is not, not, is to just matter of fact, this is what it is. It's not right or wrong. It just is. And it needs to be addressed. Right. Which will bring me to, you know, if you ever need to know what one of my mottos are, (laughs) it's, it speaks directly to that. (laughs) Well, and that is a perfect, well, before we, before you share your motto, let me ask, is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't touched on yet today? I mean, in the time allowed. <laughs> yeah, I would just I would just encourage your listeners to know that there's no such thing as women's work. It's yeah. just work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Families yeah. are a lot of work. Yeah. But the work is not gendered. The only time the work is gendered is breastfeeding and pushing a baby out of the vagina. Other yeah, than those that, are kind of something we can only do. Yeah. yeah women. Right. Other well, than that. And these days that's not even you know exactly. <laughs> Sometimes there's a there's a guy with a uterus. So <laughs> the world is changing. Yeah. So we do need to wrap up. What do you have a favorite motto or quote? What tell us where where that was? I have two. Okay. One is do not label, judge, or resent yourself or others. And the other what is whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it will achieve. Yeah. Based on who you are <laughs> and how say that one again. Whatever. The mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. That's so long as we delegate and outsource and do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, what I'm hearing is don't try to do this alone. No. Like this is, this is, we have this notion that we should, right. and we're shooting all over ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, stop that. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> it's a Bob Newhart Just routine waiting to happen, right? <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to call this a wrap. Our guest has been Regina Lark. Thank you for being with me, Regina. It's been a pleasure. She Love is the author you. of a new and fabulous book, um, Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. And you can find out more about that in the show notes or at emotional-labor.com. And, you know, I love the messages today of communication and delegation and, and, you know, don't not doing it alone. It's, it's a powerful, powerful message. So thank you. For those of you who are listening, thanks for all you're doing for yourself and for your kids. Remember you make a difference. So have a great day, everyone. Talk to you on the next one. You've been listening to the parenting with impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.